Welcome on to the Fantasy Sports Podcast. It's your host, Chris Heil. Uh, tonight, I have a special guest. I have Jim McCormick. Jim, how are we doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Uh, not a problem. It's that time of the year. It's getting into football season. And so, you ready to talk just a little football? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I talk about anyway. You know, <laughs> my, my wife's tired. Of, my wife thinks I speak in acronyms. You know, IDP, ADP, PPR. So... That's awesome. It's definitely that time of year, though. I mean, today was today is one of the mock draft Mondays. You know, for ESPN, we're starting a series every Monday until kickoff. <clears throat> you know, we're doing mock drafts all day, so it's just it's like that kind of zany kind of time of year where productivity goes down everywhere. You know, one, when I was looking over your work, one thing I was really surprised to see was that I didn't know ESPN did IDP work. So I, I don't know if this was something I missed over, or has that been around for a while? Yeah, I mean, um, basically, I joined on with ESPN when 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 Matt when Matt Berry's uh, site, Talented Mr. Roto, got got purchased. I started off with those guys, and then uh, we transitioned over. I've been doing IDP for them since you know the '07 season, but we're promoting it more. There's the rankings have gotten much much bigger. I mean, now you know we'll be ranking 35 deep a position each position. Um, you know, we you know we might even expand more. Who knows? But um, you know, started off doing like just the top tens and it was a pretty light kind of, you know, content package. Uh, but now there's just a lot more attention. Also, you know, the, 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 the hobby itself is obviously taken off. And so it leaves more room for subcultures and niches like IDP to kind of flourish. That's pretty awesome. I'm actually, I've never done an IDP league before. This season is going to be my first. I just finished up my first draft. And so I didn't really know what I was doing. I drafted out of the second spot. And so um, I went ahead and I took J.J. Watt there, and I guess that was – I didn't know what I was doing. So I thought that there would be a lot more defensive players picked in the first couple rounds. Right. But, but I didn't realize that the the point systems, they don't necessarily equal out. The offense is still a little stronger. So it was kind of a learning curve for me. Yeah, no, there is a learning curve. Um, I think there's a, there's a stronger push. It's basically been initiated like – um, mostly or spearheaded mostly uh, by the, the PFF guys, you know, like Ross Miles and Jeff Ratcliffe are both IDP guys for them, um, and really great sources for IDP information. You know, in addition to the stuff that that we're doing at ASPN and IDP is a really there's a really good, you know, Mike Wallert at uh, four for four. There's a whole there's a lot of great guys out here pushing IDP content. Um, sort of seems steep at first, but it's really just like offense. You just it's really about understanding depth charts, understanding actually like the mechanics of 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 where people are and and what positions they're in you know what i mean and like the workload there is workload in a sense because the way we look at it for idp instead of getting carries or touches it's really more about your presence on the field and snaps and also the type of defense and the type of role you're playing um that i mean like you really almost can't overdraft jj watt it's almost impossible um <laughs> It really is. Like, like he went number. We in the Roto World. We just finished the Roto World. You know, it was like a like a slow draft. We just finished the Roto World IDP mock, and he went number one. Now the next defender wasn't taken for two or three rounds. That still isn't doesn't condemn the number one pick because he scored fifty seven more fifty seven percent more points than the next closest defensive lineman last year, which is just you know you've never seen like that's usually the the gap you see between number one and number like twenty at a position. Right. You know. Not number one and not, not number one and number two, so he's in such a tier of himself. You can't really go wrong. But I would suggest if you're doing an IP draft, just in general, 
uh, I would suggest you try to build out your team as best possible in offense. You don't have to get depth. You don't really even have to get your third receiver. Or, But I would probably want to have most of my team built out. And that's only because I also go into drafts thinking I'm, I'm going to be able to find some values. Um, you know, So I'm not going to want to pay the price that maybe some people do. But I think you were on to something there because defense line is the one position that I would pay for up front because, you know, there's only so many guys in this league that are going to get 10 sacks. There's only so many guys in this league who are every down linemen. Right. Um, there's tons of linebackers. There's tons of linebackers. Safeties on bad teams get fed tackles all day. Um, I mean, sometimes the worse the defense is, the more I want their safety. I mean, that, that's a really general, you know, anecdotal kind of analysis, but it generally plays out that way in terms of, you know, you can think about it. If there's runners in the second level, the safety is the guy that has to take him down. Um, so, in general, like, IDP can be daunting, but if people give it a try, I would probably start off light. Um, I mean, I mean, I'd probably start off hardcore, but I'm saying if somebody wanted to start off light, um, it's, not a, it's a really good way to differentiate your fantasy experience is the point. Well, it was just – it was actually – when I uh, started it, it was turned out to be a Dynasty League IDP, and I didn't know that. And so – it, you know, it changes the whole just doing a regular IDP into doing Dynasty, and so I was I was able to get JJ Watt, and then I also selected. I was trying to pull it up to see what round I got him in, but I went ahead and took uh, Luke Keekley Keek, uh, uh, also. Keekley. Yep, and so I went ahead. Yeah, I mean that, that's quite a cornerstone. Yeah, and see, that's what I was. I was like, you know, I play fantasy football pretty much all you know I play it all the time I was like I can find value right. in these other offensive players I was like I know who I can gamble on different things like this I was like I'll exactly. I was like, I'll take the defensive players I think I know I can trust or the ones that are at least ranked higher right and we'll go from there I think the more you're going the more you get into IDP you'll, you'll you'll switch that around a little bit because offense is still a more scarce to me I mean it, it really depends though and what I was saying about what Ratcliffe and, and Miles have done like just, I, I I wandered there is is that they've spearheaded kind of an ESPN he does try to equate and does try to like you know uh, put defensive scoring on par with offensive players so that we really take this thing out of our head and we stop thinking about defense as a, as a single position you know and that's the thing that's what IDP helps offer us is that you know we know so much about offense like fantasy football helps us understand the league better and like know the league in a lot of ways it used to be the perception back in the day, you know, the old school perception was that fantasy is like subverts the fan experience. That like we're bad fans because we root for, you know, stats over wins or stats over, over, you know, team, team. But, you know, obviously we all know the league so much better now because of fantasy. And really IDP is a further extension, but I would, I would look to the scoring legend that we have up at ESPN, the one that Pro Football Focus has adopted. It's more of a big play medley, like, Sacks are four points, interceptions are six because they're treated like touchdowns because they're huge. They're huge momentum changes. If you look at the the win percentage added, you know, like at Advanced Football Stats or any of these sites like Number Five that do EPA, you know, expected points added, interceptions are just as pivotal, at, you know, at times in games as as touchdowns. And they should be treated as really kind of rare special events in a game, and that's how we we're starting to treat them in IDP. So do you? Um, uh, trying to think of how I should word this here. Uh, when you uh, target your players, or maybe even when you rank a mind for you, because that's something I was kind of reading yeah. on is that's a big deal. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, it's almost like 
first, you know, we don't speak and, and, and scheme talk as much with offense. We just, but like, you know, it does happen in terms of we do in a sense of zone running, you know, zone blocking. Uh, you know, we talk about power running schemes. The, the same kind of thing works, you know, in in defense. And there's, you know, there's three four systems that like to basically use their outside linebackers as full time, you know, pass rushers. Like, like, like Mario Williams is going to be an outside linebacker, quote-unquote, this year. He's going to drop back about three times this year. You know, he, he, he's going to pin his ears back. He's going to pin his ears back every down, whether he's chasing the backfield. He's chasing the backfield no matter what, whether he's chasing the running back or the quarterback. Basically, Mario Williams' job is to chase the ball. And his job is not to cover, you know, the running back that leaks out. That's going to be the, that's going to be the job of either safety coming over or maybe he helps, like, set the edge a little bit, but I mean, Mario, that's kind of my point, like, scheme really matters, so you have to understand, you know, where guys are. <clears throat> Luke Keekley, he's a middle linebacker in a 4-3 system, which means he's basically constantly going downhill towards the ball himself, so he's going to rack up a million tackles, and he does. He's got 40 more tackles than anybody in the league since he joined the league. You know, he's, he's an every week hitter. Um, he's basically Antonio Brown. You know, like, like his consistency, his floor is so strong. Um, but, yeah, scheme is important, but it's just like offense. Like, you need to keep – to be a good fantasy player in any league on any level, you need to really keep yourself up to date on what's going on around the league, you know? Right. So uh, In two or three days, things can change. So I have a, a couple questions here. Like I mentioned, I am newer to IDP. I'm still trying to learn. So that's – I mean, that's why I'm so excited about – even talking with you is you're teaching me so much to sit in here. My mouth's dropping. Uh, now, defensive backs, I've noticed, even in your rankings, are ranked much lower. But to just the normal fan, you assume the number one person, like any person off the street, you say who you want to pick for a defensive player. They're going to pick someone Corner. like Richard Sherman, something like that. Yeah. How come the guys, like even your number one defensive back is Morgan Burnett? Right. Well, what separates him, or even Harrison Smith, I noticed, what separates them uh, of being maybe uh, elite defensive backs? Well, you know, and, and that's one issue, I guess. Um, it doesn't always play out this way on offense, but usually the best players are also the best fantasy players. You know what I mean? Like, the best receiver in the world for many years is Calvin Johnson, and there's an argument that he still is. I mean, that's out there. Um but he puts up the most numbers, is my point. Whereas we don't really see that in defense. I mean, Richard Sherman, he can he can put up a nine interception year, which would have put would have post a good amount of points those weeks he does that. But no one's ever throwing it to him, and when they do, he's either deflecting it or, or, or picking it. So he's become this guy that teams avoid. Uh, Revis is the same way. Revis, I think, had like 67 tackles as a rookie, and since then, like, is basically just completely avoided as much as possible. Which means we can't really quantify what he's doing. You know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to get into, you know, uh, a QBR versus or a passer rating versus kind of, I mean, that's, I don't know how to act, like quantify what they're doing right. in fantasy. You know, how do you get bonus points for being, for not getting passed to? Um, amazing what they're doing, but it's hard to quantify. Those really like safeties are, are the most valuable defensive backs. Um, it's corny, but I would say, you know, safeties are safest, uh, because, like I said, they can be, they can be pseudo linebackers. I mean, Cam Chancellor spends the majority of his snaps 
within the box. He's within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. And, like, at all, you know, like, like the most in the league of all safeties, he spends time sitting near the box, which means, you know, he's going to get his hands on the ball. He's going to get his hands on the running back. Um, so, really, like, the reason they're depressed for me, though, too, is because there's only a couple guys, like, like Smith and Burnett, who are playing every single down, who are capable tacklers. They're going to get you 100 tackles. Um, they're basically pseudo linebackers, really. They're nickel linebackers almost in a lot of ways. Interesting. See, I would have never even thought of that because I was just looking. You have like Earl Thomas. You have a couple of these guys, uh, Eric Weddle, just different guys like this. And I like I did, I actually was able. I just, so I have Weddle, I have Watt, and I have Keekley, which I would assume you would think is pretty good. Those are studs. Yeah, yeah. I, Those are studs. Yeah. yeah. I see, but I mean, Eric, 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 see, like safety is a strain. Like Eric Weddle's an all pro. You know, it's so, like the league knows he's great. He's 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 one of the best safeties in the league in in real life and in fantasy. Um, you know, and his thing is just he's a big play guy. Like there's not many safeties out here who can hit hard and play center field. You know, he, so he can kind of do both. Um, Earl Thomas can do that to an extent too. You know, basically you want that blend. It's just like again, like offense. Like you know, there's guys who are like Deshaun Jackson. You know, like Earl Thomas can kind of be like Deshaun Jackson sometimes. Not the best comparison, but what I mean by that is he's gonna have games with like three pass breakups a pick and like five tackles but because of his job because he's a center fielder because he plays a lot of coverage there might be a game that the way the scheme went or the team they played say the Rams are dinking and dunking underneath all day well maybe guys don't even get to Earl Thomas and Earl Thomas has like three has three tackles he still might have had a great game I love Earl Thomas in a lot of ways but a guy like Eric Weddle is spending so much of his time doing things that are in the box the dirty work that they rack up stats, and uh, I don't know. It's getting more and more rare to find guys who are true every-down studs like that at safety, and that's why, you know, you really didn't wrong getting those guys because if you are confident in the offensive guys that you can build, you know, you're going to be scoring a lot of points out of out of your defense. So would you say that IDP scoring, like defensive players at least, um, tackles are maybe the number one thing you look after? It's not maybe interceptions or sacks. It's tackles. You, like that's the first category you look at. Well, I mean, really, it's, it's you know, like in the end, it's, it's, I'm not going to not answer you, but I'm saying it's really points. I mean, put it this way: volatility in a guy who is constantly racking right. tackles up. But there are guys out there are guys out here. I'm trying to think of some examples. Um, there's guys out here who are like pure. Like Tyvone Branch, maybe he was a, a safety. He's coming back now, but he was a safety for years for the, for the for the Raiders, and he would put up like 110 tackles with like zero fumbles, zero interceptions, because he basically wasn't even around the ball in those situations. Mostly, he mostly was just cracking running backs. Gotcha. And so I, he's safe. He's safe. Um, it's how you would think about a, a guy in fantasy, like who, an offense who might be a guy like Edelman style, maybe like. You're gonna think about his touchdown ceiling at like five or six. You know, you you know you don't you don't invest in an Edelman. You know, waiting for the huge huge pure PPR you do, but I mean, like, I understand completely. You know, he's not a high ceiling. He's 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 more of a steady weekly play as opposed to a spike player. Um, if the scoring system's balanced, as in, you know, full point or point and a half per tackle, point seven point, you know, when and half the value to a half tackle, of course, to assist a tackle. You know, it's really a combination. Our new scoring system are becoming more important. 
because we didn't want to overvalue just the tacklers anymore. That happened for too long, where it's like you could just take guys who rack up tackles and do really well. We wanted, with the, with the new scoring system that, that PFF put together and that like we've adopted, it really values big play guys. So I would say you want to blend. So that's what separates superstars from stars is the guys who do both. There are stars that tackle. There are stars that get big plays. And then there's the rare guys who do both. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I seen this. Like I said, I'm still learning. I'm sure some of the people that are listening here are just gonna be like, "Man, the, he is pretty dumb. He doesn't know what's going on." But I, I like the, yeah, I like the steady play. No, I mean that's the thing. It's only ten percent. Only really. I mean, the last time I checked in, I still think it's like twelve percent or something. This meaning like participation of of the larger base of fantasy football plays IDP. It's, it's not the biggest subculture of it all, but the thing is, it's an incredibly passionate subculture. So once people do get into it. They tend to get a bit a bit hooked. And, like, you know, I don't think we should be dishonest about it. It is more work. You know, like, some people are like, oh, I don't know if I have enough time for that. Well, then don't, you know, like, it's not a bad thing. Go, go play team defense. My thing is team defense is kind of boring. You know, it's not that it's just boring. Like, there's not a lot of skill in it because there's so many factors that are playing into it. We're kind of grouping all of these things into one name. We're saying that Seattle special teams and defense is one thing, which it's right. not. Right. Like, even just the defense itself isn't. There's there's tons of different players involved in that. So, you know, while that's fun, like, I still obviously play, you know, with DST, and I did a study this offseason on Vegas and defenses, you know, and <clears throat> that stuff's still really fun and rewarding. It's just that IDP is, like, this whole different – you're like, wow, there's other players in the NFL. And then when you're watching football, honestly, you're going to sit there and be like, oh, my God, Craig Robertson just got a, a – an interception. He never does that. And your friends are going to be like, "Wow, you're a super nerd." You know, <laughs> they already say that. <laughs> you know, well now it's going to be even better because like, you're going to know. You know, because honestly, like football defense. I see. I grew up loving defense. I grew up loving. I grew up with the with the with the Reggie White Eagles. You know, I grew up with Buddy Ryan's Eagles. So, you know, the body bag game, like. You know, taking quarterbacks out, putting things down, and winning, you know, 14 to 10. And that's the kind of football I grew up on. So that's why I love defense, because defense is, honestly, well, you're saying that you can't get past this line. And I love it. And that's something I might, I, that's one of the reasons I kind of want to get into it is because sometimes when you get, you watch those games and it is like six to nine, it's been all field goals and everyone's like, man, this was a right. pretty possible. It really wasn't because the defensive players were still producing. Right. Yeah. And it, it does offer some more balance in that sense too. Like, and honestly, it's kind of cool that like, you know, there's a lot of of, of it all, it's going to come down to the same things as your offensive lineups do throughout the season. Like, in week eight, you know, your roster is going to look different than it did in August, obviously. Um, but also, like, you know, there's a lot of turnover and a lot of waiver moves, a lot of wire work with defense because there's obviously there's injuries, but there's just a lot of guys because scheme shifts, like you mentioned the scheme thing, scheme shifts happen all the time. So a star could be produced because now a new coach says, this guy's going to get every snap. And all of a sudden, a guy that we weren't paying attention to, you know, is putting up, you know, eight tackles a game or something. Or like last year. The first eight weeks of the season, Clay, Clay Matthews was really a bust. He had, I think, like two sacks in the first eight games. 
um, throwing quarterbacks things right around there. And he was he had like thirty some tackles. He was on he was on his way to his worst season. And then they moved him to min, the middle linebacker because there was an injury. You know, like it was chart shift, and you're basically robbing one depth chart to feed another is what they did. But then he he had eight eight sacks and like sixty six tackles in the second half. I mean, you, you, you multiply that times two and see what happens. You know what I mean? Right. So, so what I mean is a scheme shift changed Clay Matthews' season. And that happens with fantasy football. I mean, C.J. Anderson wasn't starting for anybody in week four. He wasn't starting for, for his own team. So, you know, it's the same way. It's like you just pay attention. You grind. It's really rewarding because there is more, there is more waiver. I think there are more waiver gems. Just because there's more shifts every offseason than maybe on offense depth charts, and it's just fun. I mean, like you said about you know how it can save a nine six game, it really can. Awesome. So now I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions that are pretty much non fantasy related, just so maybe listeners can kind of sure. get to know a little more about you. Um, where where can they follow your work? Of course, ESPN.com. But kind of tell people what you're doing, things like that. So maybe they're, if they're not familiar. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I do I do uh, some background stuff as well. In addition to I do the IP rankings, uh, they come out every Thursday, um, and those will start out to week one. Uh, I also did all of our kicker and defensive stuff this off season. Kickers are just so fun to rank. Um, but no, really, <laughs> I also do fancy basketball, which um, I find really rewarding. I love DFS, uh, NBA. I think it's like it's, it, it might. I might love it more than DFS NFL. I love DFS NFL, but I just love the nightly battle of uh, of NBA DFS. And uh, in general, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing some stuff for Bleacher Report as well this season uh, on the fantasy football front. Just some like general fantasy football, you know, uh, analysis. But you know, uh, mostly doing. Uh, the, I also do all the the you know the projections that come out each week. I help with the projection model stuff, and I also help do all the NFC blurbs. So every Monday and Tuesday for about like 15 straight hours, you know, I write up every single NFC blurb for, for each week. So wow. um, all you see, it's those little pop-up cards. So if you have Adrian Peterson and you click his name, that little pop-up comes up and it gives you maybe a 60 to, to 80 word breakdown. I do those for every team. That's right. And uh, <laughs> it, it's, I'm never complaining. Never Never complaining. It's just a, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of great work. And I know I'm very um, lucky to be in this position. I, I do love my job and I'm good at it, but I also know that a lot of people um, also out here would really be able to thrive and, and would love this job as well. So, you know, there you have to have perspective about everything. I'm just really – you have perspective about stuff. And, like, you know, I think uh, Matt Harmon, um, uh, you probably you probably interact with him on Twitter. Yep. Um, he's, he's with NFL now. But somebody asked him a question recently and was like, you know, how do you break into fantasy? And he basically just said you really have to be creative and and and, gr- and work hard and put a lot of work out there. And um, I, I really agree with that. I think, you know, like that there's it's, – it's a growing industry. It used to be much smaller. DFS has really helped fantasy. It really because, has. Well, because also, honestly, it just – you know, it, 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 it's turned a lot more eyes onto it, but really it's about money. And what I mean by that is that – you know, for the longest time, you know, fantasy, people were still having trouble monetizing fantasy because if it was mostly a content-based system, 
And people, like, most of the money was really, was really because you and I were in a league and we were putting 50 bucks up. Like, you know, how was a company going to get a, a part of that? You know, or, or how were they going to get to us as a demographic? You know, really market us. And I just, I'm, I'm really happy that, that the industry has this source of, of just continued growth, is my point. Like, there was a dangerous point where fantasy football redraft as itself was going to play plateau. It just naturally would. Whereas I think DFS has really helped drive this forward, and now it's going to be integrated so much more into the major sports. No, I think DFS 100% has um, it's changed the industry, and I think it's for the best, honestly. I think that it's just it's so, it's opened it up to so many different people. There's so many different things to do with the fantasy sports. They have so many different so many smart, so many smart now. people too, right? So many smart people are coming into the game. You know? Yeah, very right. Like people from all walks of life. People from all walks of life too. You know, like there's PhDs in here. You know, trying to take us down. It's awesome. And that's what's cool is because now I'm learning. There's so much more I'm learning now. Where there's people talking about. You know, this guy had like there's so many more injury reports. There's I started trying to play daily fantasy baseball, and it was just way too much for me. Trying to figure out which way the wind's coming in. This guy hits well off of this person, and so I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. Clock factors, right, right. But right. I will tell you, I 100% agree with you. I actually think NBA DFS is the best thing out there. It I is. think it's better it than NFL. Because... I think it is so much fun. You get so involved in all the basketball games. Oh my god, I love it. And 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 as a sport, watching it. Like, like NBA players are so high usage, you know what I mean? Like that if you invest in, and then the best is when like you feel like you're you're tricking the system sometimes. When like you know when the price on like Rudy Gobert in like November is still dormant, and this guy's putting up you know twenty twenty like a win and four blocks. But the coolest thing is is you you watch it and you see it happen every time. Like it's so fun to watch the that's NBA now. Like I have such a stake in it. I feel like so. And I, I'm a Sixers fan, so I really need DFS NBA. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I was—I uh, noticed that when I started looking at your articles, I was like, "Man, he writes a lot of NBA stuff." And I was like, "I know I want to touch on it for a second because I really do love the like the NBA DFS, and it's just so fun because you don't really need high usage of uh, of minutes either. Like when you have someone like a J.R. Smith no. who can just go in and throw up points Green, really quick, and, and really yeah. quick, and be done. That's fine." Because you can get yep. him at a low cost, and it, it just for it was just something I thought was really neat, and it's totally different than NFL. I mean, I could just imagine like eating dinner at J.R. Smith's house, like all the plates are by his side because he never passes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. So I have a couple questions here, about three or four questions, and then we'll get you off, okay? Sure. So, um, what's a what's a hobby of yours? What's something you like to do besides? I know you stay busy with fantasy, but what's something else you like to do? Um, well, the, it's, it's, it's not the most, no, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. But, uh, the last year I've been, I've renovated the home, uh, like almost completely. Um, that was kind of cool. It was a great learning experience, but I think, yeah, like, I guess my hobby now is kind of continuing to develop like this, this property that I bought. So that's not exactly like the funnest hobby, but that's what, it's kind of what I'm into. It actually, it's become fun. Like it sounds weird. I know I'm getting old, but like I'm getting into like, you know, like fixing up the property, like landscaping, like it sounds awful. I should, I should, I should have a better example than that. <laughs> so you enjoy mowing? I, I, like, I like, I like, I like boxing. I like watching boxing a lot. Like as a sport, I mean, like obviously as a sport, I don't box myself. Um, 
But no, I mean, honestly, like, I guess comedy is a huge thing of mine. Like, I love, like, I love watching stand-up. I love keeping up with, like, what's coming out in comedy. I love, uh, it's a good po- comedy podcast. Like, um, you know, obviously, like, WTF with Mark Marin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, I like, I, I don't know. I have, I like uh, fighting and laughing. That's like awesome. boxing and comedy. Um, do you watch a lot, uh Last uh, comic standing then, on TV. I do, I do. I was gonna say, I, yeah. that's the one show I have to watch. It's like probably one of my favorite shows. I have to watch it each year, and so it's pretty. I'll I'll talk to you about it when it starts getting a little uh, deeper into the show when we yeah. start well, figuring it's, out. It's so cool. It's so cool too because like you see how many different styles work. You know, like it's 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 really cool how quickly like you can have something to set a personality in comedy. I just it's such a crazy venture too and I've tried to do it a couple times just on like the lowest level like even just like coffee house like open mic bar stuff and it's it is such a difficult it's such a difficult venture well it is because you have to people are staring at you and the whole time you're like do they think it's funny you You know and like it's I feel like it's such a it's almost more mental than it is about what you're saying because you're trying to interpret what they're looking at, how they're laughing at you, different things like that. Because at the end, everyone's going to tell you, you know, they'll come up and they'll say, hey, great job. But did they really like it? You'll never know. If they come back, yes. And that's why the best one, well, that's why I think the best ones are the ones who don't give a shit. <laughs> like the guys who just get up there, the guys who just get up there and do it. Like, And, and that obviously comes with experience, you know, but like you can tell when, when like I've seen small comedy shows in Philly where a guy just gets up and kills it, and I think he killed it, but mostly because he didn't really care. Like he just, and like I think what people have to understand is these guys are out here trying stuff. These you know women, men, they're out here trying things that are new every night. I don't know. I just think it's exciting. Like it's it's got to be so difficult, but you can only imagine the rush. You know when you finally develop something. So if you weren't with ESPN, you weren't doing sports writing at all. Would you would you be doing stand up comedy or what would you be doing? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I maybe. I, I, it's, it's almost as realistic as being a fantasy football writer, I guess. But like, uh, um, no, but I, I suppose honestly, I'd probably be cooking, doing something like that. I grew up cooking. I grew up in my brother's pizza places, uh, like down in the Jersey Shore. Uh, we, we like eventually had a brick oven place. Um, I probably would do something like that. Like it's it's hard work and it's hot work, but like. I don't know. I still do. Like, I'm the cook in my family with my wife. Like, I just love cooking. So I probably would, would really get into some sort of, like, you know, uh, brick oven type restaurant or something like that. Man, your wife's got to be happy. You cook. You like doing the landscaping and doing everything around the house. Like, yeah, she but hit dude, a, bolt, a jackpot here. <laughs> dude, dude, I, I, first of all, she's like a football widow, like, in about three weeks. And then, and then, you know, NBA season. This is her, this is basically when she, when we get to hang out. She's the luckiest. And then when sports start, you know, no, but there, there's also, <laughs> there's also some massive trade-offs for, for, for being married to me. And so final question here for you. Of all the sporting events, the slam dunk contest, I know you like NBA, um, maybe March Madness, Super Bowl, what's your favorite thing to watch? Um, Honestly, like the most, like I, I never get up or get more excited than a great boxing match. Like a really wow. great fight, nothing gets me more. Um, I just, I, I respect what they do so much, and I know how difficult it is, and it's such an art form. It really is a sweet science. Uh, 
I don't know. I just think there's such a history behind it. It, it really is the gentleman's sport. You know, um, the ones who do it correctly. If you see two men uh, fight each other, we see the bad moments and the bad things like far more often. But there are so many fights. And now that ESPN, and this is not because I work for them, I'm just happy that somebody's carrying it. Now that ESPN is carrying uh, the Pro Boxing Championship, PBC, it's going to be on almost every week, which is really going to help at least get more eyeballs on it. Boxing's never going to come back, but I just love a great fight. But there's nothing like two men testing their wills and seeing who can fi- who who can finish. When I I grew up in Rhode Island, and my parents said boxing was enormous there. They said that every like they had small fights, they had all these different things, and it was enormous around that area. So yeah, I'll- it's an east coast, and it's a Philly thing too, east coast thing. Like where it's really it's, it's weird. It's like the coast, like L.A. and Philly is where they fight. You know, like and, and New York and. The East Coast, Boston, it's it's weird. Maybe you guys in the Midwest have to start fighting more. <laughs> um, so the final question here. Who really won in the uh, Pacquiao-Mayweather fight? Well, the, 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 they both won. <laughs> <laughs> they both made. I mean, you know what? Mayweather's final net was like $240 million and Pacquiao's was one. Um, everybody lost and they won. <laughs> That's really what happened. That was just a bogus fight, and I'm so, it's such a shame because as a re, as a boxing fan who really really follows the sport, and like I watch like every fight, it really really uh, was a really bad example of what the sport can be, and it was like a shame because that's the one fight that everybody gave a chance to. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and the next week, the next week, like Canelo Alvarez, you know, knocks out Kirkland. Uh, two weeks later, like this guy Keith Thurman has an amazing fight. Um, there's a fight coming up that I would suggest all of your listeners and you or anybody. Uh, Galati Golovkin, he's Triple G. He's an Eastern European monster. Uh, he is going to be fighting a guy named Daniel, 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 Daniel Lemieux. That's it five times. Uh, and then Madison Square Garden in October. That will be an absolute battle. Awesome. I can't believe I'm sitting here talking boxing. I know little, very little, but I know some, and so it's kind of it's kind of different. So I've had a lot of yeah. fun talking with you. Yeah, no, I had a great time. I appreciate it, and it's, I think it's really smart to to talk to people about you know, like I like the, I like the non football stuff too because it's like it's I think like I, we all I'm sure you do too. We all do so many football podcasts, and like it's always nice to get I don't know. It's nice to get a, get to know somebody is a little bit better. Well, thank you again, and of course that you can find uh, you on Twitter at yep. uh, let's see here have at Jay McCormick ESPN. Jay McCormick, right? Yep. At Jay McCormick ESPN. Um, you can find me tweeting every three days about the Sixers. Um, <laughs> you know, that's pretty much, and then it it'll, it'll of course pick up uh, as we as we develop, but. Uh, Man, I can't imagine. I haven't, in this football season, I just can't wait. I mean, it's, I I haven't, I don't know if I've, I I say this every year, but I'm really, really excited. It's, it's really, it's the off season that just builds up and it gets so exciting, so. Um, let's go. And and I'm just tired of, I'm tired of hearing the same narrative. Like, let's just do this. Like, how many touches is Joseph Randall going to get? Let's find out. Okay, let's find out. Oh my gosh, I'm a hundred board, a hundred percent on with you because that's the same thing. People sit here and, and beat a dead horse with the same comments and the same statistics. They're like, "No, you're wrong." It's like 
like just wait until the season. We'll see who's right. And that's, yeah, that's what's yeah, exciting. Our side. Yeah, it is. It's like, it's like we draw our lines and you know, and, and we see which side we're on. So. I love the well, start of the season, and I don't because you're wrong and you're right. <laughs> so there's a couple right. that you're always wrong on. There's a couple you're always right on. Hey. So it's there's. It goes both Again, ways. thank God for DFS, so that by week three, you still have something to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is yeah. the Fantasy Sports Rants Podcast. Your host, Chris Heil. Find me on Twitter at the Grizzly Beard. And this podcast is brought to you um, by the Asylum Fantasy Sports Network. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Take care. Bye.